Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Certain types of music have been around, you know, forever. Jazz, for example, has been with us for over 100 years. Classical music goes back at least 600 years. And then there's religious music, which dates back thousands of years. If you study this sort of thing, it's a form of ethnomusicology, you'll see that revivals happen all the time, all over the world, and with all kinds of different music. You see, if a type of music lasts as long as some of what we just talked about, it's always got to be there in the background. It can't ever have actually died off. And it really helps if these old sounds experience periodic comebacks, you know, just to give things a boost from time to time. Music revivals can be defined as social movements, where a segment of the population decides that a specific era or musical system needs to be restored for whatever reason. Maybe they're just tired of what's happening in the mainstream, and these people start to look for something from the good old days to soothe their souls. And revivals have an interesting side effect. When a form of music comes to the fore again, it has a chance to renew to regenerate, to evolve. And this is where we encounter one of the most durable and regenerative forms of music of the last hundred years. This is chapter two of Alt-Rock Revivals, and this time we're going to talk about ska. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Reaching back to the ska revival of the 1990s, that's Sublime with Date Rape. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is the second episode looking at the various alt-rock revivals that we've seen over the decades. Like I said on Chapter 1, alt-rock has been around long enough for us to be able to identify certain cycles, and this time, we're going to look at how ska keeps coming back again and again and again. Like punk, the alt-rock version of ska wasn't revolutionary. It was reactionary. And like I said just a few seconds ago, people periodically get tired of the status quo and reach into the past for musical inspiration. And this is exactly what's happened with ska. Now, first, we need to define what we're talking about. Ska is a choppy form of music in 4-4 time. The key is the timing of the emphasis on the beat. It's on the second and fourth beat of each bar. That's augmented by the guitar hitting on the first and third, and sometimes on the fourth beat. The way the guitar is played is called the ska upstroke, and it's the secret sauce to all this. It's a very danceable thing. The bass line is important too. The most common approach is to play steady quarter notes up and down the scale in the key in which the song is written. Get it right, and you have a very infectious groove. For added effect, the song might also have brass instruments like a trombone or saxophone. Ska can be played at a variety of tempos, although if you slow it down too much, it actually morphs into a new sound called rock steady at around 80 beats per minute. Any slower than that, and you have something called reggae. So how long has ska been around? Well, at least since the late 1940s. Ska was born in Jamaica in the years following World War II. At the time, Jamaica was a British colony, which meant that all kinds of Western European music was introduced into the ecosystem. North American music seeped in, too, via radio from places like New Orleans. 
Lots of Dixieland and jazz and blues and R&B came in over AM radio and shortwave from the mainland. And because American military personnel were stationed all over the Caribbean, Jamaicans were exposed to even more music. These foreign sounds mixed in with indigenous Caribbean music. There was mento music, a form of Jamaican folk based on traditional African sounds that came over from Africa with the slave trade. And there was Calypso, which originated in Trinidad and Tobago and was a twist on a type of French music that slaves co-opted while working on the sugarcane plantations. Mix all these sounds together and you ended up with something called shuffle. And shuffle became a big deal throughout Jamaica through the 50s and into the 1960s. You heard a lot of shuffle on Jamaican national radio. The sound was really infectious. People visiting Jamaica military types, those working in the bauxite mines, vacationers, various entrepreneurs, took that music with them back to wherever they came from. This created a market in Jamaica for recording, manufacturing, selling, and broadcasting all these new shuffle records. And here's where we meet Clement Coxon Dodd. He spent some time in the U.S. South in the 1950s soaking up blues and R&B. And when he got back home to Jamaica, he started playing some of the records he got in America in his parents' shop. He called this the downbeat sound system. People loved it. So every once in a while, Coxone would go back to the States to find more records. And when he was away, he hired a kid named Lee Scratch Perry to run the sound system so his mom wouldn't have to. After a while, Coxone realized that instead of playing imported records, he could record local acts. His company was called World Disc, which went a long way in promoting the new, evolving domestic sound. The big change happened in 1962, when one of Coxone's buddies, Cecil Bustamenta Campbell, changed the beat. Cecil and his guitarist, Jerry Jaw, moved the beat emphasis from the one and the three to the two and the four. So in other words, they began to stress the offbeat. And this is pretty much when ska was born. This coincided with something non-musical. Ska really began to catch on at the same time as Jamaica moved from a British colony to an independent nation. And ska, this new music, became the semi-official sound of the independence movement. Here's an example. This is Prince Buster from 1967. Prince Buster was an excellent example of the early days of ska, an era that we've come to refer to as the first wave. All right, uh, stop a second. Why, why do we call this form of music ska? That's up for debate. Some say credit should go to Cluett Johnson. In the late 50s and early 60s, he led a band called Clue J and His Blues Blasters, and they were one of the first to adopt this new offbeat way of playing. Cluett liked to use a made-up word when describing what his band did. He said, Skavuvi. So maybe ska is just a short form of Skavuvi. Or maybe credit should go to Byron Lee, a Jamaican record producer. He's said to be the person who introduced the electric bass guitar to the country. He had a band called the Dragonairs. And if you go back to Dr. No, the first James Bond movie from 1962, that's them playing Jamaican Jump Up in the Calypso Bar. He might have come up with the term ska. And then there was Don Drummond. He was a trombone player who helped give some of this music a darker sound. His band was apparently first called the Satellites, but by 1964, they were known as the Scatolites. 
Oh, and by the way, Cox and Dodd produced their early records. The Scatolites were also a crack studio band, and they appeared on so many records produced in Jamaica between 1963 and 1967. And that's how their choppy, danceable sound spread even further. They were the equivalent of American studio outfits like The Wrecking Crew out of Los Angeles, or The Funk Brothers, who appeared on all those great Motown records of the 60s and early 70s. Too bad for Don Drummond, though. In 1965, he was convicted of murdering his girlfriend and ended up in an insane asylum until he died in 1969. He might have died of natural causes. He might have been starved to death. He might have been murdered by gangsters in retaliation for his girlfriend's death. Or it could have been the government. Agents who were threatened by the nationalism created by Scott decided that he needed to go. Despite all this, ska became the dominant music in Jamaica through the mid-1960s. Even a national dance called Skanking emerged. And there were even a couple of songs that became international hits, like this one from Desmond Decker in 1969. Big hits on a new label called Island, run by an Englishman named Chris Blackwell. That was Ska's first worldwide hit, The Israelites from Desmond Decker. But to everything, there is a season, and by the end of the 1960s, Ska had been supplanted by its slower descendant, Reggae. And Ska was over, for the time being. But, like I said, this was just the end of what we call the first wave. The second wave came in the wake of punk. Jamaica became an independent nation in 1962, so no more British colony. Meanwhile, though, the UK was suffering through a post-war labor shortage. Jamaicans had the choice of toughing it out at home through a period of grinding poverty or immigrating to the UK and take their chances there. And this is what eventually led to a ska revival, or what's now known as the second wave. This is chapter two of a look at various alt-rock revivals. And now that we've laid all the groundwork for ska, we can look at the first revival, the so-called second wave of ska. When the UK invited citizens of the Commonwealth to immigrate to alleviate the post-war labor shortage at home, a lot of Jamaicans went for the offer. Many settled in the industrial city of Coventry in central England. Naturally, these new citizens brought their music with them, and that meant ska. And back then, it became known as Blue Beat. This slightly evolved form of ska lived side by side with R&B and soul and reggae. It was also embraced by certain segments of British youth culture, like the Mods and the Rockers and the Teddy Boys. And then, a few years after that, the first British punks. Now, back then, there were plenty of punk fans and a growing number of punk bands, but there were no punk recordings yet. So if you went to a club where punks hung out, the music played by the DJ was soul and R&B and reggae and ska. These older sounds got mixed in with the new ones coming out of the punk scene. And one of the first guys to really figure it out was Jerry Dammers, an artsy guy from Coventry. He loved this older music, but he also loved the attitude of punk. And he was also the son of a minister, so all this was a great way of rebelling against how he grew up in this bleak working-class existence. Jerry's band had a very different sound, 
It took ska and reggae and mixed it with some of the elements of punk. And it came with a proper uniform designed to be a cross between a West Indian rude boy, a British skinhead, and a British mod. Proper suits with white shirts and ties and pork pie hats and specific shoes. Jerry's group was called The Specials. Their first single was a cover of a 1967 track by a Jamaican rocksteady musician named Dandy Livingston. The specials and a message to you, Rudy. All right, so so who's this Rudy guy? Well, rude boys, those petty criminals that could be found in places like Kingston, Jamaica. And over the years, rude boys was shortened to just Rudy. The specials were at the center of this ska revival, the second wave of ska. Jerry Dammers formed an indie record label called Two-Tone to release records by the specials and other like-minded groups. By 1979, the specials were playing gigs alongside punk bands. Punks that were exposed to ska liked what they heard, and the music continued to evolve. There's Madness from 1979 with another cover. The original was by Jamaican ska singer Prince Buster from 1964, showing again how second wave ska was a revival of the original ska of the 1960s. There were a few years where ska was everywhere. We had bands like The Specials and Madness, The Selector and The Body Snatchers. Two-tone records was a big part of this, but other labels caught on, giving us bands such as The English Beat, The Employees, and The Tigers. And from America, we had The Untouchables and Her Majesty's Secret Service. But this cycle would also end. Despite its positivity, its multiracial makeup and appeal, and its message of unity, the scene was eventually infiltrated by racist organizations, such as the National Front, which started creating problems at ska gigs. Lots of violence. Meanwhile, there was too much ska too quickly. The talent pool became diluted, and the music started to get stale. Two-tone started having serious money troubles, and then the British music press got bored of the whole thing and moved on to something else. In this case, it was another revival, Rockabilly. By 1985, the second wave was pretty much over. But it was not dead. Groups like the Toasters and the Uptones kept things alive while ska receded into the background. So did these guys, a one-time two-tone band called Bad Manners. London's Bad Manners from 1985, with their cover of a 1983 song by Todd Rundgren called Bang the Drum All Day. Another group that deserves a lot of credit for keeping Sky alive is an L.A. punk funk band called Fishbone. They became part of the West Coast alternative scene. By 1988, they were making some serious inroads into alt-rock, and in a few years, they'd be performing on the main stage of Lollapalooza. If you're unfamiliar with Fishbone, dig into their second album, Truth and Soul, which featured songs like this. It's Ma and Pa. Fishbone, a band that served as vital connective tissue between the second wave of ska in the very late 70s and the early 80s, and what was to come with the third wave. And that's next. 
So far, we've seen how the first wave of ska was resurrected by some punks to create the second wave. Now it's on to the next revival, which, surprise, is known as the third wave. This, of course, was the time of grunge and the alt-rock explosion, and this helped third wave ska become massive. Now, a couple of things before we go any further. If you listen to this music, you can still hear and feel the original Jamaican sounds. But the guitar riffs are more prominent, and there's liberal use of bigger horn sections. Not just saxophone and trombone, a bunch of horns, and you'll hear what I mean in a minute. If we really dig into this, we can see the stirrings of this third wave in the very late 1980s, through the rise of Fishbone in California, as well as a few bands from the East Coast. And just like punk helped along the ska practitioners of the late 70s, punk once again figured a big part in the early 90s. A segment of the American punk underground really became enchanted with the British ska revival. Given their background, they inevitably fused ska with hardcore influences. So we're going to start on the East Coast in Boston with the Mighty Mighty Bostones. They were formed in 1983 and inspired by the whole two-tone thing, at least originally. But they also liked their hard rock, ACDC, Motorhead, Social Distortion, they were all cool. The Mighty Mighty Bostones blew up in 1983 with their third album, Don't Know How to Party. And this ska track, with lots of horns, became a giant alt-rock radio hit. Other early third-wave ska bands were Voodoo Glow Skulls, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Bucko Nine, and Dancehall Crashers. But the first third-wave act to really break through into the mainstream was one that we also talked about during the chapter on punk rock revivals. We are now back to Rancid, who, remember, descended from a hardcore punk band that began incorporating ska into their sound as early as 1987. That group was called Operation Ivy. Then came Rancid, who figured in both the punk revival and third wave ska. And as punk revivalists like Green Day and The Offspring got bigger and bigger, Rancid was basically sucked up in their wake. In the summer of 1995, they released their third album, And Out Come the Wolves. And it bridged everything, from the grunge scene and punk, as well as bringing back the old dependable ska feel. And the result was a platinum album. Once Rancid took off, we started to hear more from similar bands, most a little more punk or metal than the way things used to be. Most, but not all. Ska punk, as it became known, had several flavors. Take this group out of Orange County, who struggled through two albums before something really got weird with a 1995 album called Tragic Kingdom. No doubt loved the ska beat, but instead of going down the metal and punk road, they mined more of a new wave sound, which was a good move. Of the 14 songs on this album, seven were released as singles. And songs like this made the ska beat even more pervasive. No doubt, one of the many third-wave ska bands of the 1990s. 
This list also includes Goldfinger, Sublime, The Aquabats, Save Ferris, and a ton of others. California was the epicenter of most of this, but third wave ska was a global thing, with scenes taking hold in Canada, Spain, Germany, Japan, Argentina, and even Russia. Third wave ska melted away by the early 2000s, although this music from the 1990s continues to be popular today. And we have also reached the fourth wave. Now, for there to be a fourth wave, we had to have cooperation from both second and third wave bands. The Specials, that key band from the second wave, got back together 40 years after they last recorded together. Third wave groups like Rancid and Real Big Fish are finding new fans. Fishbone is still with us. And there are a bunch of brand new bands who have picked up the mantle. Some of these groups refer to what they do as progressive ska. Others are happy with just fourth wave. They respect the traditions of ska, yet try to do something a little different. And if you dig into this, the roots of this revival go back to sometime between 2002 and 2004, when a new generation of these ska bands began to emerge. Okay, like who? Well, there's a group from New Brunswick, New Jersey called Streetlight Manifesto. They lean on the punk end of things. We can also look at the laid-back, chilled, and slightly stoned material coming out of California. Call that beach ska or hippie ska. It also mixes in reggae, hip-hop, and punk. We might want to include San Diego's Slightly Stupid in this group. Other bands you might want to include in the fourth wave is the Steady 45s, the Bandulus, and the Soul Radics. And the biggest of them all, at least so far, has been the Interrupters. They're from Los Angeles and record for Hellcat Records, a label associated with, and here's that name again, Rancid. This was the first female-fronted ska hit, since no doubt... The Interrupters, the current leader in the fourth wave of Ska. Ska has proven to be one of the most resilient and unkillable forms of music of the modern era, with three revivals. That's pretty good. On the next episode, we'll look at a sound that was beloved by many a millennial. It's the Emo Revival. If you want podcasts of this program, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcast platforms. They are all free to binge. To your heart's content, please rate and recommend if you get a chance. You can find me at my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Updates every day and comes with a free daily newsletter, which you should really subscribe to, by the way. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you're so inclined, send me an email about uh, pretty much anything at all. It's alan at alancross.ca. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.